0: Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Anybody here for the first time tonight? (laughs) Welcome to you. Welcome to anybody at home for the first time. Been on a series of teachings the last month or so is the is mindfulness the core meditation instruction from the Buddha the four foundations of mindfulness tonight we're on the third foundation which is uh, about our minds bringing our awareness to the process and content and habits of our of our minds uh so i'm gonna start with a question for you what's your mind like what's it what's it i mean don't answer but just what? like when you think of your mind your brain your like what's the first couple of words that come to mind like Tranquil abiding or like total shit show. My mind is a shit show. (laughs) Um, So, we're going to talk about the minds tonight. Uh, So, there's some, some, a big part of it is bringing awareness to our mind habits and, you know, the repetitive patterns of thoughts that you have, the craving. The planning? How much of the day is your mind thinking about the future? Wouldn't that be an interesting sort of graph to have if, you know, like if the watch or your Apple watch was able to tell you like 90% of the time you're thinking about the future? How much, how much of the time are you thinking about the past? Maybe a lot, you know, especially different circumstances that are happening in our life, and we can get real stuck in the past, real, the old traumas, the old wounds, the arguments, the resentments, or reminiscing. I know, I sort of feel like I'm stuck in the 1980s in some ways, (laughs) still sort of like reminiscing about the good old days when the suffering was dangerous fun, exciting. Um, so part of it is getting, you know, the third foundation is becoming more intimate with the, the habits of our mind and the patterns. And, and and I'll talk about this later, but another question for you, you know, the first question is like, what's your mind like? And from a Buddhist perspective, it actually doesn't really matter what your mind is like. The bigger question is, what is your relationship to your mind like? Whether your mind is tranquil, right? You can have a very sort of peaceful mind and suffer all of the time about your clinging and attachment and identification with your tranquility, your bliss, your what you know, like you can have what we think is going to be a really pleasant experience. But if you have an unhealthy relationship to that, uh, you know, wisdom that's arising, you'll still suffer. Or you can have a totally ignorant mind that's full of fear and judgment and lust, and but have a, a real non-attached, non-identified, wise relationship with that those mind tendencies and not suffer about the anger, the fear, the lust, the judgment that's passing through because you just watch it pass through. And this, I think, uh, a huge misconception that most of us bring to meditation is that if I meditate enough, my mind's gonna get perfect.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Wendy.
0: <laughs> it's gonna get perfect. It's not gonna judge. It's not gonna crave. It's not gonna compare. It's not gonna feel doubt or unworthiness or fear. That somehow, and I, you know, I love to, uh, in some way, there's this conscious or unconscious expectation that meditation's kind of going to be a lobotomy.
1: <laughs>
0: Meta- metabotomy, meditation lobotomy. Like, it's, just get rid of all of those afflictive thoughts and emotions, and then I'll be happy. And as it turns out, uh, it's not the way it works, not the way Buddhist meditation works not what the Buddha talked about, his experience of awakening, wasn't a complete absence of that stuff, but a radically different relationship to the mind. And in order to change our relationship to the mind, we have to pay attention to the mind. And so that's the third foundation, pay attention to the mind. And we'll do that tonight. Um, Before we do that, in order to build some community, turn towards some people, try to find one or two people in the room that you don't know and talk to them about your mind. You can hear, here's a prompt. Here's a prompt. Here's a prompt. You can say to them, something funny that my mind does is, although mindfulness is taught uh, on these four different levels, because we are actually an integrated being with the consciousness of both physical, mental, emotional uh, content. Kind of impossible to just meditate on the body and completely turn your mind off. It's also kind of impossible to just meditate on the mind and not feel your body. So we're doing the first foundation, present time awareness of the body and Second foundation, awareness of the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feeling tones in the body. And then we open the attention, as I will in the instructions tonight, to the mind. And the second foundation of not only, there's several things happening. What's happening in the mind? Second foundation, how does it feel? Is this a plan or a memory? Is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? Um... So I'll give some instructions. And if you're brand new to meditation, it's okay to, the the first relief that mindfulness gives is learning to ignore your mind, breaking your addiction to thinking. And it's quite tricky to pay attention to your mind and not get dragged off in thought and not get involved in the plans and the memories. And it's a little bit of an advanced practice. I think it's good to do right from the beginning to try to do it, even if you can't do it. The image that uh, my father taught me, uh, or you know, in his book "Gradual Awakening," great mindfulness book if you haven't read it, "Gradual Awakening." Stephen Levine he uses the image. He uses a couple images in that book, but um, he uses the image of for third foundation of watching your mind like a train of thoughts. Which is a good image because, you know, it's all the train cars, the box cars, train of thoughts. And it's a thing we might say anyway, the a train of thoughts, like passing through. And that the goal here is to be mindful, like you're sitting next to the tracks, you're at the station, on your meditation cushion, <laughs> at the station, just watching the train go by. But it's so seductive that you just lose a moment of mindfulness and all of a sudden you're on the train. You've train hopped and you're going down the tracks in the plan, in the memory, in the desire, in the fear. And then a few minutes into that thought and proliferation of thought, or maybe just a few seconds, you remember, oh shit, I was meditating. (laughs) Oh shit, I was trying to observe this and not indulge in it and not go for a ride with my mind. And then you get off. And you see like, oh, okay, back to the body, back to the here, I'm here, these are just thoughts passing by. And we start to see that there is the ability to observe, to know these are just thoughts and to not be so in them. But that there's something about the thinking mind and ego mind and self mind that uh, really wants you to pay attention to it. Have you ever noticed that in meditation or sometimes you're really just trying to observe and then your mind is so convincing? This shit's really important. I know most of the time it's, you know, but this one is really important and you should definitely stop meditating and start thinking as a a conscious or unconscious. Uh, In that image of the train going by, Um, My father called it the exploding boxcar trick. you are just sitting there meditating and just planning, remembering, planning, lusting, judging, fearing, just passing by. And then there's just the like explosion of, you know, this is the meaning of life or this is the most important thing or you have to really figure this out and, and you just get drawn in. It's like that explosion that just sucks you in and all of a sudden your mind has tricked you into thinking again, planning, remembering, engaging in that emotion, taking it real personal, suffering. In some way or another, the mind is saying you should suffer about this rather than just let it go, rather than letting it go by. So I don't want to make it sound so simple like, oh, yeah, just sit there and watch your mind. Don't engage, just be awareness. The instruction is quite simple, but the reality is nearly impossible in the beginning. We're all so addicted to thinking. It takes some time. Uh, And it's where the first foundation is such a good, solid place to start in meditation. Learning to ignore your mind then gives you the opportunity to be like, oh, this is optional. I don't have to pay attention to my mind. I can focus on my breath. I can focus on my body. And then we can start to open. Second, third foundation, fourth foundation. And, um, and it's pretty amazing when you start to get it and you start to have that. And you, you will, if you keep meditating and you keep trying, you'll, you'll get it which is I can just watch these thoughts arise and pass. Awareness, knowing the content and process and mood without being very affected by it. Even when it's really unpleasant, just enough space around it, just thoughts, just emotions arising and passing. So, Tara, you could turn off the... AC might get warm, we'll be okay. So find a way to sit upright, relax, take your meditation posture. As you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed, allowing your body to settle into an upright and relaxed posture, relative stillness without being rigid or stiff. Softening the brow, the eyes, the jaw. Releasing tension around the neck and shoulders. Placing the body in a posture that is open and receptive. When we're tense, we're resisting or suppressing. When we let go of the tension, softening the belly, becoming more receptive, vulnerable, open to our own awareness. Bringing a inner attitude, the intention of kindness, of friendliness, compassion, Mercy towards yourself. The intention, the aspiration to accept our experience just as it is. All of the sensations, emotions, and thoughts with non-judgmental acceptance awareness not even judging the judging mind and just spend a First few minutes in body awareness, first foundation, breath, body. Letting go of the busyness of your day. Fully arriving, each breath, letting us know we're still alive, we're here. Awareness, receiving the sensations of the breath. This body with its six ways of knowing physical sensations, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, and thinking. Choosing to begin to direct your awareness to the thinking mind. What's the mind thinking about right now, if anything, are there memories coming or plans, fantasies? And if that visualization is helpful, think about that sitting next to the tracks. The mind is quiet temporarily. Just sit there, see what comes next. Not Not trying not to think, but becoming interested, curious about what the mind's thinking about, wanting to reflect on, or worry about, or plan, or... When it's obvious, name it. This is planning or remembering, or this is anger or fear. Start to know that that thought passing by isn't just a the thought, there's a content. Become aware of the content. judging, craving, comparing, lusting, Disengaging from the train when you're going for a ride. Bring awareness back. Feel your body sitting, perhaps putting the word here in your mind to remember to return here, now. try relaxing your awareness. Don't try to be so focused to catch every thought. Lots of thoughts coming by. Sometimes it's like a busy train station, a whole bunch of trains, a whole bunch of platforms. Have a relaxed, open awareness. Coming aware of also the process how thoughts do just pass by. Even the strongest emotion in the mind that creates sensation in the body might only last for a few seconds or a minute or so before it starts to dissipate. For the last few minutes of the sit, let your awareness become wider and wider, including all the physical sensations, all of the sounds. And then beyond the body, beyond the mind, let your awareness fill the whole room you're in. and beyond so that it's in a sense that the awareness is so much bigger than the content of the thoughts or the sensations, open and spacious and unaffected by what passes through it. Awake and aware of the impermanent nature of all of the phenomena arising and passing, Awareness is more like the sky that the clouds are passing through. Encompassing all of that that surrounds the thoughts. The train just passing through a wide open, spacious, Awareness. And if the mind becomes tranquil, know it as tranquility, or if joy arises, appreciate the wisdom, the compassion, the factors of awakening that also pass through the heart and mind. There's a, there's a temptation in meditation to just focus on um, concentration-based meditation practices. And um, the reason we like concentration-based meditation practices is because they let us... Ignore our minds, concentrate the awareness away from what the mind is doing, because I'm sure you're aware that it's your mind that creates all of your suffering. And so ignoring it lets you ignore your suffering. And we like that, right? Part of the reason I came to meditation because I wanna not experience suffering. And if I concentrate, if I focus and even what we call mindfulness of the breath, we can use the first foundation as a concentration practice. And if I just concentrate on the breath, then I am not aware of what my mind is doing, at least temporarily for a breath here and there. And it feels so good to disengage from the judging and the craving and the fearing and the self-centered, repetitive process that our minds are in and concentrate it away. Fucking bliss, joy, freedom. And so it's uh, a quite, uh, quite tempting to just mostly meditate on the breath and body and to ignore the mind, you noticed? Um, and as I said in the intro, in the beginning, It's a good foundation it's good you know part of what we're doing is we're breaking our addiction to the mind but here's the issue to use the sort of addiction uh analogy our addiction to the mind is um it's not like a drug addiction where you can practice abstinence right where you can get clean and just i'm never doing cocaine again done <laughs> You can't do that with your mind. Like, I'm just going to stop thinking. That's it. You have to, you know, our mind is such a central part of how we process everything, the whole world. And we have to continue to think. So it's a recovery that's not an abstinence based recovery. It's like a food addiction, where, where you have to develop healthy, Relationship to your substance of choice, which is thoughts, and like food addiction, part of the part of the way the Buddha Buddha puts this is he says, abandon uh, the unwholesome mind habits. First, you identify them by not ignoring them, but turning towards them. And when you see the unhealthy, you know the uh, refined sugar, <laughs> the refined flour, whatever those kind of things that you just, you know, you just don't need, and you've become addicted to the judging, the uh, repetitive craving, the second noble truth, which is so much of what the mind is doing. And often, I don't know what the poly word is, but he says, you know, identify those habits and abandon them. Now, abandon sounds a little too easy and a little too final. How I always reinterpret when I hear uh, the Buddha or Buddhism saying abandon this is not that we can just like abandon ship and just like <laughs> stop, but break your identification with it. Abandon belief and identification and, uh, and feeding it and, and believing uh, I have to keep feeding these thoughts these mind habits. And he says, um, you know, cultivate the wholesome, you know, as you become more aware of your mind and its habits and the unwholesome and the wholesome and that there actually is generous thoughts and kind thoughts and loving thoughts. And, and those are the ones that you want to be using your mind in, a, in that way. So there's so much uh, discernment and, and we, yes, we want to learn to ignore our mind, break the addiction. There's a period of fasting, you know, in meditation, uh, but then it's, I have to reintegrate to full present time awareness that includes what's happening in my mind and not just always coming back to my breath, not just always using meditation to, avoid, but to become intimate with, and it and there's a, uh, a need to increase our tolerance for sitting here with a loud mind, with a judging mind, with fear, with worry, with doubt, with whatever difficult thoughts are entering, and becoming more, it's, it's exposure therapy, <laughs> it's turning towards it, exposing yourself to your own mind. I'm waking up to, these are just thoughts, impermanent, the three characteristics, the impermanent, the impersonal part, I think, most of meditators, most of us get pretty early on, you start to see that your mind doesn't obey you, right, just does whatever the fuck it wants. And, you know, you can, you have some influence over your mind. such a strange organ. (laughs) I think that the uh, closest analogy is like, it's, it's a little bit like our lungs where you have some influence over how you breathe, right? You can choose to take a deep breath. You can choose to hold your breath. You can, breathe fast, hyperventilate. There's some influence over how you breathe. But basically, your body just fucking breathes all day long all by itself. Go to sleep, it keeps breathing. (laughs) Not paying attention, keeps breathing. And we don't tend to take our breath so personally. I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. Imagine if you were obsessed with your breath the way you're obsessed with your thoughts. We just breathe and we know this is an autonomic system that the body does. The heart beats all by itself. The lungs breathe all by themselves. The organs process all by themselves. (laughs) And you have some influence, right? If you exercise, it's different. And if you sleep well, it's different. And if you eat good, healthy stuff, you have some influence. But it's also just going to happen all by itself. And the more we meditate, the more we start to wake up to, my mind's the same way. It's also an autonomic. It thinks all by itself. Before meditation, I don't know about you. I'd, I'd imagine this is true for most of us. I really thought I was thinking everything all of the time. It was me. I'm planning this and I'm planning that and I'm remembering this and I'm self-centered to the extreme and just taking it all personal. I didn't have any awareness that my mind just does did that all by itself. I thought, this is all my fault. All of the craving, all of the fear, all of the judgment, all of the anger. is all my fault. I'm doing this. This is my mind. And then you start to meditate and you start to see, oh, even when I'm not jumping on the train, that's still what the fucking train is. (laughs) It's doing it all by itself. Even when I'm, you know, there is a difference between volitional when we're in it and we're doing it. And the truth was, before I started meditating, I was mostly in there doing a lot of that stuff. And when you start meditating, you start seeing it keeps doing it all by itself non-volitional judgment i'm not trying to judge anybody but my mind's comparing i'm not trying to hate anybody but my mind's there's resenting i'm not even feeding it but it's saying hey you should hey knock knock (laughs) who's there hatred (laughs) you should fucking hate some people real quick I hope you're starting to see that. I hope you know that and are getting more and more awareness that uh, the mind has a mind of its own and it just thinks. And so, you know, there is a difference between when you're in there and you're uh, involved in it and the awareness is in, almost incarnated. Anger comes by, says, knock, knock. <laughs> and whether or not you say who's there or not is whether or not you incarnate as anger. I don't know if that works or not, but something like that. It's like I just, just fear arising and passing through consciousness. But then sometimes I'm afraid. I believe that thought and I identify with it. And then all of the sensations that go along with it and the sweaty palms and the you know, physical manifestation rather than just nervousness, anxiousness, fear. How, how many uh, selves, how many parts does your mind have? How many voices are in there? Like when you look at your mind, third foundation. Think about this for a moment. Many of you have done this before, but think about uh, all of those different voices. And how many of them are historical and how many of them are aspirational and and like, the, like, there's a board of directors in your head, and there's a board table, like a you know, board room. And then, like, you know, what, what kind of table do they sit around? Is it a round table? Is it a rectangular table? And you know, uh, and then there's like, it's a board of directors, right? That's like directing our thoughts. That's showing up and. You get a sense of that for yourself. And the reality is, seems like for all of us, this human mind, uh, there's young parts of us that are still, uh, that have a seat at the table. the Wounded child. Not everybody's wounded. Some of you have less wounds than others. <laughs> but some young part of us has a seat at that table. The adolescent has a seat at that table, how often are you experiencing life through the lens of an angry teenager, (laughs) even though you're 50, (laughs) or 40, or 60, or 70, or but reacting to, shut up, mom, fuck you, dad, or whoever, teacher, cops, fuck the police, In, in a kind of regressed But there's that voice at the table. And then who else shows up in your mind? Is there a place of wisdom? Is there a place of compassion? Is there a place place of uh, a healthy sexuality, of healthy, um, mature, emotional maturity? Lots of different seats at the table. And, you know, for those of us, you know, the addict has a seat, those of us in recovery or not in recovery, the addict has a seat, the recovery person has a seat, the young person, the elder, I don't know if you get a sense of that, but Ajahn Amaro, one of my favorite teachers, talks about his mind like this and encourages us to think about our mind like this. And... Uh, I really get it. I see like, oh yeah, it feels like sometimes there's a very young part of me that um, is like running the show, like really loud and really pervasive and throwing a fit. And sometimes there's a a quite uh, mature wisdom part of me that is, you know, kind of offering the kid forgiveness and soothing and, um, responding wisely to those difficult emotions. So Jan says, you know, turn towards your mind, identify those different parts, the board of directors, and do your best In the Dharma, what the Dharma is doing and what our meditation practice is doing is endeavoring to make wisdom the chair, the president of the board, the chair, wisdom, the wisdom mind not the judging mind. And more and more, if we bring awareness, if we just only do breath practice and just ignore our mind, we don't get intimate enough, familiar enough with our mind to identify like, oh, this is an ignorant thought. I need to bring wisdom into the conversation. (laughs) This is, I need to bring, I need to remember the Dharma. I need to remember wisdom. And try to bring that out front because right now I'm just stuck in resentment or craving or you know, some, something that's going to lead to suffering or is suffering. In the um, teachings on Buddhist psychology, the first line is, the mind is the forerunner of all things, the human mind. and a mind that you know thinks with ignorance, suffering, and a mind that thinks with wisdom, not suffering, freedom from suffering. So, so much of what we are endeavoring on the Buddhist path, first we have to wake up to our mind's tendencies and then mindfulness of the three characteristics, impermanent, impersonal, unsatisfactory leads to wisdom. Don't take it so personal. Don't be so identified with what your mind is doing. Develop the discernment of what thoughts are trustworthy, And wisdom is the chair. And what thoughts are untrustworthy and to be abandoned, abandoning our identification and our our incarnating as. And then we're developing the loving kindness and the compassion and the forgiveness and the appreciation and equanimity and, and creating mind habits that will start to override the untrained mind's habits to create suffering for itself. We're training the mind. There's that image that the Buddha uses of uh, the monkey mind. The untrained mind is like a wild monkey swinging through the jungle. Grasping to views and opinions and plans and memories and just one to the next. And the more we train the mind, the more we learn to settle here and just watch out. These are just thoughts. I don't need to go on that, you know, crazy monkey mind journey through I taking it all so personal, believing it all. One time, um, and one suit, uh, somebody asked, "Well, how does this meditation work? Where, how are you know, how are we training our minds and the mindfulness and the loving kindness and all these practices we're doing?" And he said, "Well, it's like um, it's like if you had a stone, a stone that was like a soft stone, and you were dripping water on it. Mindfulness, mindfulness, here, 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 or." May I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be free from suffering. I forgive you. Please forgive me. I forgive myself. You know, kind of all of the practices that we're doing. So it says like dropping a drop of water. In the beginning, it just sort of bounces off on that stone. But then after a while, you keep that repetitive mindfulness or heart practice going, starts to create a groove. And becomes habitual. It's, it takes root, it be- creates a, a divot there. It, becomes, it inhabits the space after a while. And um, this is fucking neuroscience that he was teaching 2,600 years ago. He's talking about creating neural pathways. You keep doing it over and over, and you train your mind to think with compassion, to be mindful to be non-attached. And in the beginning it doesn't work very well, <laughs> it just bounces off. But the repetitive mindfulness, loving kindness, compassion creates, it's the, what do they say? The neurons that fire together, wire together, and create a pathway, create a mind habit. So the long-term effect is that our mind starts to get more and more wise. And it's easier to make wisdom the chair years into your meditation practice. It's good advice in the beginning, but you're like, how the fuck do I do that? (laughs) Doesn't even feel like wisdom has a seat at the table yet. I know my own experience when I started meditating and I heard Dharma talks like this. And I was like, there's nothing good in here at all. I promise you, (laughs) I'm being mindful and it is violence and fear and craving. And, you know, I'm watching my mind and it hates you (laughs)
1: like
0: seriously. And it hates me and it hates everything. And it wants to die and kill either or. And it took some years, you know, the, the other part of um, the mind, you know, there's the mind habits, there's the moods, there's the, it feels like, does your mind feel like an environment? mind does. And I, I like to think of it like that. So there's a sort of environment. And when I started meditating, my mind's environment felt totally unsafe. It felt dangerous actually to be with my own thoughts. And there is even that sort of recovery saying of like, you know, your, your mind's like a bad neighborhood and you should not go there alone. Make sure to call your sponsor, check in with other people, which there, and there's wisdom to that, you know? Like, and when I, I saw like, oh no, I can't trust my mind. My mind tells me to smoke crack and commit felonies. I, I can't listen to my mind. and then over the years of meditating seeing like actually you know 5 years in it's actually not as violent as it used to be doing forgiveness every day doing loving kindness every day trying to be mindful 10 years in the environment is shifting it actually feels way different in here than it did when i started when i got clean and when i started meditating and then 20 years in, and, you know, I'm coming up on 34 years of practice, and it's a totally different mind, and it's not a totally, it's the same fucking mind, (laughs) but the environment has shifted so much, and the relationship to it has shifted so much. I feel like, I feel like the, there's a lot of the same elements that used to, it felt like my mind used to just be this completely like kind of realm of violence and addiction and lust. And like, and that was all, it felt like that was all that was there in the beginning. And then now it doesn't feel like that at all, but occasionally there's kind of like lust comes through and violence comes through, but they don't live there anymore. Like they just come to smash some windows, <laughs> right? I don't know if that image makes sense to you, but that's my, uh, one of the ways I try to express uh, my own inner experience of long-term meditation and recovery. and That shit still comes through sometimes. It's just not, it's a little, to me, it's a little bit more surprising now where it used to be all I knew. And the way that the Buddha talked about this was he said, you know, before awakening, uh, I believed my emotions and my mind and I took it all personal. And Mara what attack. Mara is that part of the mind that is the afflictive emotions and the self-centeredness and the unworthiness. And before awakening, before I really knew my own mind, suffered about it. And then after I discovered mindfulness of being able to just watch it arise and pass and not take it personal and meet it with compassion, he said, now, after enlightenment, Mara still comes occasionally. Enlightenment didn't get rid of afflictive emotions, didn't get rid of doubt and craving. He said, but it's not as pervasive as it used to be. And when it arises now, I just relate to it with wisdom. He said, I see you, Mara. Wisdom has become the chair in the Buddha's mind. And so when the unwholesome arises, he says, I see you and I don't suffer about you. I meet you with compassion and acceptance and non-judgmental present time awareness. Right now, it's like this. An afflictive emotion is visiting. (laughs) It's craving, it's anger, it's knock, knock, who's there, fuck you. I hope these perspectives uh, make sense and are helpful. And all of this comes back to third foundation. Stop ignoring your mind. Your mind is your whole practice. Change your relationship to your mind. Start the, you know, and continue not only the present time awareness, but the loving kindness. So important to train the mind to be kind. May I be at ease with myself just as I am. I forgive you. This isn't third foundation, but this is what changes how you, what you experience when you do the third foundation. Does that make sense? Third foundation is just being aware of what your mind is doing. We have to train our mind with the heart practices so that those neuropathways of wisdom become stronger than the habitual reactive tendencies of ignorance. Last week when I was talking about the second foundation, I probably said um, something like, I usually say like, this is the most important part, second foundation. This is where we end our suffering of clinging to pleasant. This is where we end the suffering of aversion to unpleasant. Second foundation is so fucking key. I'd I like to keep things kind of simple. I think um, the three liberating skills that we have to develop, you want to be free from suffering. If you want to take this Buddhist thing beyond just a little bit of improvement, but to like real freedom, we have to develop compassion. There's no true happiness without compassion. We have to develop non-attachment. There's no true freedom, no true happiness with a a tendency to cling, to be attached. We will always suffer when we cling. But those two by themselves aren't enough because you could be a completely self-centered, compassionate, non-attached person. You could get real good at compassion, but still take everything real personally. You could get real good at non-attachment, but still be self-obsessed. I, me, mine. It's this third foundation that leads to the realization of the impersonal nature of the self. Or the absence of an abiding, permanent, fixed self. Because mostly it's your mind that you think you are, right? It's your, your thoughts. You're t- taking them. So the more you do this, the more you get that third and final frontier of liberation, which is understanding it's, it's not your fault. And it's not that personal. And it's not worth suffering about. compassion, non-attachment, and not self are the three, you know, and if you, you know, like focus the next, the rest of your life (laughs) on compassion and non-attachment and, and changing your relationship to the mind. And, um, you know, I want to say I guarantee, but I, I, I believe you'll find that your life just gets better and better. And that inner environment becomes much more, uh, interesting and pleasant. And... You got spiders on you, Jamie? A big,
1: oh <laughs> now it's on the front. It's not a spider. It's a cockroach.
0: This place.
1: <laughs> like a ghetto meditation center
0: filled with cockroaches. A it's a sentient being
1: yeah you have so much compassion, you want else. he was trying to party with jamie you guys are
0: lucky you're at home there's cockroaches all over everybody over here it's crazy yeah they're just like you're safe i'm gonna chill on your shoulder you're probably not gonna eat me you look like a vegetarian <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's all right. It wasn't your fault.
1: <laughs> He's good. He's on the wall. Leave him be
0: fine. They're my co tenants. <laughs> <laughs> any uh any questions
1: <laughs> please
0: that was it
1: that was it yeah
2: um there's i'd be curious to get your thoughts on this um, earlier on you mentioned that like as you start changing your relationship with your mind it starts really trying to get your attention by dude, you have to pay attention to this thought. This one's special. Yeah, uh, David Lynch has said uh, in a lot of different uh, forums that he uses meditation as a ha- way to get ideas for his art. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious if, do you think that like deliberately combining a meditation practice with a creative practice is a distraction from liberation or can it be good or be either or?
0: Could you hear the question at home? Yeah, or no? Yes. Okay. Because you do um, start getting really yeah.
2: cool
1: creative
0: ideas. Yeah. Like- I, um, Depends on your intention. If your intention is liberation as soon as possible, um, and you're not so interested in your next great screenplay, David Lynch, you know, <laughs> uh, then yeah, it's a kind of a distraction if you're, you know. But if you're
1: oh wow. Oh. <laughs> and now it's gone. No, it's
0: so it could be a distraction. it depends on your intention for those of us david lynch the the you know those of us who aren't like i'm trying to get enlightened as soon as possible i'm trying to decrease my suffering and also have like a a creative endeavor i want to have a career i want to write cool things i want to do cool things then there's absolutely a place for it Um meditating with that. When I've been I've done a couple when I'm writing a book where I'll go on a writing retreat. And the intention isn't I'm going to get as liberated as possible. I'm going to meditate and also unlock some of that creativity. I did a I did a writing retreat once with um Natalie Goldberg. I don't know if you know who's who's like a Buddha, yeah, writing down the bones like a Buddhist writing teacher. And we would do a period of meditation, a sitting meditation, a period of walking meditation, and then like an hour writing. And then we would be sit, walk, right, sit, walk, right. And I found it was amazing to do that and, you know, be doing serious practice, sitting and walking, not trying not to plan, right? The whole thing is like, don't sit here and try to plan what you're going to write, but your mind does it anyways, come back to the breath, come back to observing. And then when it's time to write, sit down with that openness and see what comes out. So you know, for somebody, I don't feel like I'm a super creative person, but I like creativity and and I've done a bunch of writing. Meditation can be super helpful when it's approached with that intention. Mm-hmm. Most of the time when I med- when I'm meditating and when we're practicing, it's not the intention to be creative or to get. It's actually the intention just to see, right. clearly and respond wisely. So it, there can be a trap here if you too often are trying to use meditation to get the creative outcome right there's more craving for an outcome that's not just a wisdom outcome but that's a like product so does that make sense to you where i'm yeah. totally has a place in my opinion has a completely has a place uh, you don't want to do it all the time
2: well, just like the observation and to piggyback off off of that usually when i go into my meditation i'm definitely not trying to get creative you know it's like what i don't want to do sometimes i get in the train though and some of my most genius ideas have been in one of those train cars yeah <laughs> so yeah so i don't hate it but it happens very rarely mm-hmm. but it's just like one thing i just now noticed it just like came to me when you mentioned that about the creativity so like what do i do with that like that with
0: compassion i just i think just acceptance mm-hmm. and then just that discernment of like yep it's going to happen sometimes am i attached to it happening how much Um, You know, once that thought has arisen in the mind, do I really need to think about it for the rest of the meditation? Or can I just file it of like, remember this shit and then come back to the phrase, the practice, the task at hand? Um, I don't think we have to be very afraid if it's really good inspiration. I don't think you have to be very afraid that you're not going to remember it because you're going to fucking remember it. I, one time when I was sitting a long retreat I decided when my mind was saying, hey, this is important, I would just write it down. And so then, you know, I wasn't doing a lot, but a few times a day, I'd write a few things down that my mind was telling me was important. And then after the retreat, looking at the notes and being like, I was on acid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like the shit
0: that my mind was telling me was really important made no sense at all with, you know, the kind of sober, non meditating when I came back to, you know, Ordinary consciousness, some of it was, actually some of it was good and I used for some writing stuff and a lot of it was just garbage, but I was so convinced at the time, like this is fucking, I got it. <laughs> so we have to be a little bit skeptical, but also it's okay to write it down sometimes. If you're afraid you're not gonna remember it. A couple more questions at home. Uh, Kay, go ahead.
2: Thanks Noah. I actually liked when you said Knock knock, you know, uh, because it reminded me of that SNL skit, knock knock, land shark, and I was yeah. thinking knock knock, mind shark. But
1: um, what? Shark.
2: What? I'm just curious to know what is it that you call the thing that is aware of the mind's functioning with all its thought box cars. What is it that you call the thing that discerns wisdom is needed at the table? Because if it ain't brain, what is doing the awareness? What do you call it? Do you call it heart, mind? Do you call it awareness? What what do you call it? What's the thing that is discerning and aware if it isn't brain?
0: Okay, here's the secret teaching. (laughs) Ready? <laughs> We're training the mind with the mind. The mind is training itself. It's all just awareness. Okay. And yeah, there, you know, there's the term that we use bodhicitta, the awakened uh, bodhi is, is awakened. Um, and cheetah translates as mind or heart heart mind so we can we uh, heart feels a little bit like better right like it's so easy to demonize like my mind is the problem but i have a good heart <laughs> <laughs> so we like the term cheetah because it's kind of like well it's not my mind it's my heart like heart, how could your heart be but you know what knock knock is also your heart fuck you you know we like the heart is we like to use the term heart is like love the heart is so love but you know what else hates the heart hates and the heart lusts and the untrained heart fuck you land shark or whatever
2: land shark <laughs> money
0: So that's why like cheetah, we, you know, we don't have this duality of like the heart is good and the mind is bad. Both the emotional center that we call heart and the intellectual center that we call mind need to be trained. And they both have goodness, Buddha, nature, Bodhi cheetah, but they need to be trained and, you know, excavating that wisdom and that compassion. And we're training them with the mind and the heart and awareness is aware, And the mind creates the awareness that is aware of the mind. I know it's a secret teaching. I wasn't supposed to tell you.
2: Well, yeah, but it's also like that thing you said where you early on, where you didn't have any, where you didn't think you had wisdom at the table. Like he hadn't even showed up yet. He was stuck in traffic or wherever. Right. Yeah. So. You know what I mean? Like what, who do you, who do you listen to with that point? Well, I mean, that's, you
0: know, I was making that joke about like, you know, call your sponsor, your mentor, your, you know, Dharma teacher, your friend, Sangha is so important. Um, And there is some humility in the beginning to be like, I can't really trust my own thinking. But it's such a dilemma because I have to. I still have to make decisions. I You know, like I, I know it's often giving me really bad advice, but I still have to decide if I'm going left or right. And so, you know, the more we can surround ourselves with wise people that will give us good, hey, should I go left or right? Like, definitely don't go left. <laughs> oh, shit, I was thinking that might have been a good idea. So we're just about out of time.
1: Is it on me? <laughs> <laughs> we're
0: gonna we're gonna gonna end class there tonight i'm sorry mark that i didn't get to your question it is nine o'clock and there is a flying cockroach harassing the in-person sangha in here so we're gonna leave it there tonight it is a flying cockroach um Classes done by donation. Against the stream is a nonprofit organization that relies on your generosity. Obviously, I don't charge for you to come to the Zoom class or to come into the room. Um, but the only way this thing continues and the only way this thing has continued for the last many years is through the generosity, the voluntary generosity of those of you who attend. If you can become a monthly supporter and say, hey, I'm going to give 20 or 50 or whatever dollars a month on the website, there's a link there, recurring monthly donations. That's very helpful. So that there's like a commitment to the Sangha, uh, whether or not you show up or not. So that getting out of this like fee for service, it's also not a membership. Obviously, you don't need to be a member. Everyone's welcome here. Um, But just that I want to support uh, whether I'm showing up or not. So consider becoming a monthly uh, donor if you can. And um, if that's not uh, something that you want to do and you want to just make a one-time donation tonight, there's the link in there. Tara will be at the desk over here. You can put cash. You can do the Venmo or the PayPal. Suggested is $15 or $20 for the drop-in class, um, but give whatever feels appropriate to you. The Memorial Day retreat is coming up. 27th, just like three weeks away. Um, it's kind of full, but I probably won't turn you away. Uh, I'll have to increase the numbers with the retreat center if more people register, but, um, if you're going to register, do it today. Don't like, don't do it next week right before. Um, just cause I need to finalize the, um, numbers with the retreat center and the menu and the housing and all of that stuff. So if you're planning to come, decide this week and register. Um, I'll probably close registration for it next week. So you only have the next few days to decide. Three days, uh, silent meditation retreat, Joshua Tree starts on the 27th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday till Monday. We come home on Monday. So um, hope a bunch of you are joining me and uh, look forward to that. And I'll see you next week for the fourth foundation of mindfulness. May any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared outward in all directions. May each one of us get as free as possible, and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Good to see everybody, and see you next time. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.